We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 392 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, September 5th, 2022. It is Labor Day 2022, and I am here for you, laboring for Labor Day. Uh, One of the mantras of this podcast is, I follow sports so that you don't have to. So here we are together on Labor Day, and that's a good thing. That is, in fact, a necessary thing because this is a big week. NFL Week 1 is upon us. The Commanders, they will begin their 2022 regular season this Sunday. Commanders versus the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. Hope you're having a nice Labor Day weekend. We on Saturday did have the dual birthday party for the 5-year-old son and the 2-year-old daughter. All went well. The camping theme, the outdoors theme actually was a big hit. And my son, who is like super into landscaping, pretended to mow the lawn and blow leaves anyway. So in a lot of ways, he ended up having the landscaping worker theme party that we wanted to have for him. You know, at the end of the day, right, when you're five years old, it's all about theater of the mind. You know, the creativity of the mind is a powerful thing. Heck, We as sports fans, especially Washington, D.C. sports fans, we often have to use the creativities of our minds in order to feel good about things. Will we be feeling good about the commanders one week from right now? What will we end up saying? What will we end up experiencing with Commander's Jags this Sunday at FedEx Field. Well, the commanders did not practice over the last few days. The team is expected to practice on Monday. The only real significant commander's news item from the last few days was what came out on Friday. Multiple reports that the reason that safety Cameron Curl had his right arm in a sling during last Wednesday's practice was a thumb injury. So that's actually good news, right? You'd rather his thumb be the problem as opposed to, say, his shoulder or elbow. But, you know, his arm wasn't a sling and his status for Sunday against the Jags is unknown. In the meantime, I have a special guest for you next segment. Former Old Dominion football head coach Bobby Wilder 
Uh, he was ODU's head coach during quarterback Taylor Heineke's time at the school. Uh, coach Wilder, in fact, has played golf with Taylor on Saturday. Uh, coach Wilder is very close with Taylor, and Coach Wilder is a big fan of the Commanders. He follows the team, studies what it does, and like I said, is tight with Taylor, is tight with Tay-Tay. Uh, so Coach Wilder knows stuff that uh, most other people maybe do not know. Uh, you're going to hear Coach Wilder get into a specific key for offensive coordinator Scott Turner with quarterback Carson Wentz. You're going to hear Coach Wilder talk Taylor Heineke, including Taylor's mindset for the 2022 season, how he's feeling about being the commander's QB2. You're going to hear Coach Wilder have some very nice things to say about the commander's QB3, at least for now, Sam Howell. Bobby Wilder talking commander's next segment. Uh, Now, the program that Coach Wilder took from FCS status to FBS status, Old Dominion, it on Friday night beat Virginia Tech again. A second time in four years. This was a wild week one of college football. See Florida State's bonkers 24-23 win over LSU in New Orleans on Sunday night. I have an in-depth college football segment for you talking Maryland, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Navy. The Terrapins beat Buffalo 31-10 in College Park on Saturday afternoon, although uh, this certainly was not a flawless performance by the Terps. Uh, but the Hokies lost at ODU 2017 on Friday night. The Cavaliers got a bit of a scare from an FCS school in Richmond in a 34-17 win over Richmond in Charlottesville on Saturday afternoon. And the midshipmen, in fact, lost at home to an FCS school, a 14-7 loss to Delaware in Annapolis on Saturday afternoon. Not an overly impressive week one for the major college football teams of the Mid-Atlantic region. However, what was impressive over the weekend was the work of our major league worst nationals. (laughs) Had you like the Nats winning two or three games at the National League East leading New York Mets. And then, by the way, trolling the Mets on Twitter. Uh, The Nats' official Twitter account shortly after Sunday afternoon's 7-1 Nats win at the Mets tweeted out a meme that read, no trumpet, Uh, this as a dig at the Mets, whose closer Edwin Diaz has maybe the best entrance of any closer in the majors with his trumpet entrance. Uh, Oh, this tweet from the Nats got a lot of attention, and the replies from Mets fans to the tweet were priceless. Anyway, I have a lot for you on the Nats, and I have a lot for you on the Orioles. Uh, They Friday through Sunday won two or three games over the American League worst Oakland A's at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The takeaway from this series for me, Gunnar Henderson. The guy is a superstar in the making. He's playing third base. He's playing shortstop. He's playing second base. He's hitting. He's making great defensive plays. In a season in which the O's have called up so many highly talented prospects to the majors, Henderson might prove to be the best. And he and catcher Adley Rutschman form quite the rookie force for the O's, who next up, by the way, have a massive series against 
the Toronto Blue Jays. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Ted on NFL practice squads with all of the talk on the podcast recently about the Commander's 53-man roster and their practice squad. Writes Ted, on the road as usual. I'm listening from far, far away in the land of Lewis and Clark in Kalispell, Montana. Uh, I have three practice squad questions. Do these rejects practice with the regulars? Uh, since all player positions may not be represented, does the water boy or some volunteer who wanders by fill in? And do these guys play mock offense and defense or just hit blocking sleds and do jumping jacks all day? Uh, thank you for the email, Ted. Hope that you're enjoying Montana. Yes, practice squad players do practice with the players on the 53-man roster. The biggest difference between active roster players and practice squad players, in addition to game day eligibility, is money. Uh, a player makes a lot more money on the active roster than he does on the practice squad. A big difference between active roster money and practice squad money. Uh, email from Mike on the Commanders and the Terps. Writes Mike, I hope the birthday party was terrific. Happy B-Day to both of your children. I was wondering if Weedman has given your son the VIP tour yet. Yes, my son, five years old, very much into landscaping. He may be running Weedman at some point. Who knows? Continues, Mike. Uh, I listened to your Friday show on Saturday. Terrific as usual. Anyway, I nearly drove off the road when you mentioned that coaching can make a difference. Yes, it can for sure, but not, I'm afraid, with this group. I remind Mr. Rivera in all his arrogance, once again, that he has accomplished exactly nothing without peak Cam Newton. Going to be a typical year, I'm pretty sure, and not good, that is. Uh, happy that our Terps won handily, but can you ask Mike Loxley sometime why he keeps yapping about cutting down on penalties, and yet the problem continues game after game? Seems maybe he needs to change his approach or stop talking about the penalty problem. Uh, thank you for the email, Mike. Yeah, Maryland in that win over Buffalo, eight accepted penalties for 82 yards. You know, Mike's not wrong in saying that Ron Rivera hasn't accomplished much without Cam Newton. But you also can say that about a lot of NFL coaches, that they haven't slash didn't do much without star quarterbacks. Like, what has Bill Belichick accomplished without Tom Brady? What did Jimmy Johnson accomplish without Troy Aikman? What did Bill Walsh accomplish without Joe Montana? I'm not saying that Ron is, say, Belichick or Walsh, but it's very hard for any NFL head coach to have significant success without a very good quarterback. And that, of course, is why what the greatest head coach in Washington history, Joe Gibbs, did was so incredible. Three Super Bowl championships in 10 seasons with three different number one quarterbacks and three different number one running backs. Uh, you know, you should never say never in sports. Can I say that we'll never see that again? An NFL head coach win three Super Bowl championships in 10 seasons with three different number one quarterbacks and three different number one running backs. Come on, Joe. We're never going to see that again, right? <laughs> exactly, Joe. You see, he's laughing at the mere thought of somebody doing that again. Well, something that is no laughing matter is your health, including the health of your skin. And if you have questions or concerns about the health of your skin, know that Dr. George Burgess and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Call 301 396 3401, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. 
Dr. George Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Commanders fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Uh, the Institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you are dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices do not offer, like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. Make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you, but call 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Ratings and reviews, they help out the podcast a lot. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review of the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sense or two saying that you like the podcast. And thank you very much for doing the ratings and the reviews. The Commanders will begin their 2022 regular season this Sunday afternoon, home to the Jacksonville Jaguars at one. There is so much to be thinking about with this 2022 Commander season. And someone who thinks about the team a lot and knows quite a bit about the team and its inner workings is the man who joins me now, former Old Dominion football head coach Bobby Wilder. Uh, he was ODU's head coach from 2009 through 2019. He was the college head coach of Commander's quarterback, Taylor Heineke. Uh, Heineke was a quarterback for ODU from 2011 through 2014. It was with Coach Wilder and Heineke that ODU made the transition from the FCS to the FBS beginning with the 2013 season. It was with Coach Wilder that Heineke for the 2012 season won the Walter Payton Award as the best offensive player in the FCS. Coach, it's great to talk to you again. How are you? Absolutely living the dream, Al. Good to be with you. I appreciate your time very much. Before we get to the Commanders, uh, it was in September 2018 that an Old Dominion team head coached by you stunned, then number 13 Virginia Tech, 49-35. ODU backup quarterback Blake LaRussa in that game, off the bench, 30 of 49 for 495 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. Uh, what was it like for you watching what Old Dominion did this past Friday night, the 2017 win over Virginia Tech? Uh, I was really, really proud of what they what they were able to accomplish. It's obviously a, a different setting uh, this year than it was in 18. and 18, um, the expectations were not the same for Old Dominion in that game. We were 28.5-point underdogs. I think the line might have been six the other night. Uh, but to see what they were able to accomplish in a really gritty performance, Al, they just kept hanging in there, kept battling back. Hayden Wolf, who was actually a quarterback that 
we had recruited when I was there, uh, was really struggling the first three quarters, and then he turned it on in the fourth quarter. But just an outstanding win for Old Dominion, 20-17, to and really happy and proud of the program. What did you preach to your 2018 Old Dominion team? Like, how did you prepare it in order for it to do as it did in September 2018 in upsetting Virginia Tech? We, we went into it with the right mindset that um, this was a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime moment. And, and the presentation I made that week, I borrowed a line from Herb Brooks in the movie Miracle of Great Moments Are Born from Great Opportunities. And the way I talked to the kids every day about the game was just to point out things like after they win this game, they'll be remembered forever. Um, that's arguably the biggest win in the history of Old Dominion sports because the magnitude of of Tech being nationally ranked, and you know, we were the we were the little brother, you know, Tech, that's the the big dog in the state. So that magnitude, and then twenty five years after that game, they'd come back with their kids and and say, "Hey, this is where Dad, you know, pulled the pulled the miracle." Um, so we, we went into it with that mindset, Alan. Then what we talked about, and, and Old Dominion did the same thing the other night against Tech, was just just stay in the game. Just keep being in the game. And the way the game went out, we're down 7 to nothing, and then it's tied 7-7. Seven seven. And then we're down 14-7, it's tied at 14. We're down 21-14, it's tied at 21. We're down 28-21, it's tied at 28. So we just kept hanging in there. And, and, and the point I made to the players is in the fourth quarter, if you're still with them, there's going to be doubt on the other side because they're supposed to beat us by four touchdowns. And that's what happened. And then we just turned it on in the fourth quarter. We outscored them 28-7 to win 49-35 in a, in a game that was an absolute classic. Yeah, that really is one of the more memorable games in recent college football history. Uh, so the Commanders, you follow the team closely, you study what they do. Uh, how is Bobby Wilder feeling about the Commanders in the 2022 season? I feel really good about this team. I think they have an opportunity uh, to do some really good things this year. Everybody knows last year, Al, that uh, the defense underperformed based on expectations. I, I think statistically they ended up 25th in the league, if I'm not mistaken, and the expectation was they were going to be a top 10 defense. And quite honestly, Al, that's what Taylor Heineke needed last year. I think that team last year, you could flip that record from 7 to 10 to 10 and 7, maybe even 11 and 6, if that defense is the top 10 defense uh, we all expected. I think they're very good uh, in the offensive line, which uh, if you're good in the offensive line in the NFL and you've got a shot to win football games, um, improvement at skill, uh, they've done a nice job there. Um, so I, I think this football team has an opportunity to be successful. They've just got to stay healthy. Um, I remember last year, Al, when uh, the big injury to me last year, the one that I thought was most impactful was when Logan Thomas uh, went down. Um, because that was, you had McLaurin, you had some really nice options out of the backfield. And then Logan Thomas was just the guy that was a tough matchup. And um, that was the guy that Taylor felt was most impactful offensively obviously obviously McLaurin was the best weapon that's not even in question my point is just Logan Thomas made it really difficult for people to just focus on on Terry McLaurin uh having Logan back hopefully 
Um, hopefully when he does get back in there, I don't think he's going to play much uh, week one against Jacksonville, maybe just in spots, but um, I hope Logan can work his way back because he's such a smart, instinctive football player. There's no question that Logan Thomas means a lot to the commanders. And you think about what went down for him in the 2021 regular season. He played in just six of Washington's 17 games. He dealt with a hamstring injury, and then he suffered the torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus. Uh, The commanders at quarterback, uh, they, of course, have a new starting quarterback in Carson Wentz. The Carson Wentz conversation we know is a complicated one, but uh, what are you anticipating from Carson in the 2022 season? Well, foremost, um, you know, find a way to stay healthy. That's that's always been the biggest thing with with Carson is just that inability to keep himself healthy. And, and it's not always the fault of the quarterback. Hell. I mean, obviously, they're not the ones tackling themselves, but trying to keep himself in positions where he can stay safe, where he can protect himself. I mean, think, think about this, Al. Let's use Tom Brady for an example. All right, the guy's played in the NFL for 22 years, and he's probably one of the worst athletes at quarterback you or I have ever seen in our lifetime. Right? Am I right? Yeah, probably. yeah. So, but how does that guy stay healthy? Well, he makes good decisions. He knows where the ball's going. He gets rid of it quickly, and he doesn't take unnecessary hits. So Tom Brady's only only ever really been out uh, one time in his career when you know when he got that low hit in the knee against Kansas City, the opener, I think it was back in 11. So uh, the point I'm making is is Carson's going to have a mindset more like, more like a Tom Brady to, to protect himself and try to stay healthy so he can help his team. Do you see Carson Wentz and Scott Turner as a good fit schematically? That's, that's the question mark. That's a really big question mark. Is, is that combination going to work? Because, you know, Scott's, Scott's different. That's a different system. The North... Turner system um, is is a little bit different. It's a little bit unique. So I, my what I'm going to be looking for, Al, is to see um, how much how much play action will be in there. How much how much of movement? How much is he going to move uh, move Carson around in the pocket, or is it is it just going to be everything from the pocket? Because I, in my personal opinion, I don't think that's Carson Wentz game. I think. I think he's got to move. I think he needs play action. He's obviously got a strong arm. He's ridiculously talented, but um, he's not a pocket guy. He's not Tom Brady. You know, his game needs to be more like Russell Wilson. He needs to move uh, a little bit to help his game out because of his athleticism. So uh, that's that's we'll all find out uh, early on in the season exactly uh, how how this is going to work out. It's interesting that you say that. The advanced stats do back that up. So to you, a definite key for Scott Turner with Carson Wentz is to have him in moving pockets. No question. Yeah, when when you look at his game, Al, um, he's never been comfortable just taking a snap and, and dropping back five steps and then just sitting there and bouncing on his toes and, and, and reading a progression. He's never been comfortable with that. Now, he can do it. But he needs to have a good mix. He needs to be able to, you know, first and 10 or, or second and six, third and three. He, he's got to have some play action into his game. He's got to have some uh, some object receiver reads where he's just coming out of a fake to the running back and, you know, maybe reading a, a high, low, a corner and a, and a smash route. Just something where, you know, he's got some reads in there where he's just looking at a third of the field where 
when you look at Taylor Heineke's game, you know, all he ever did in high school, college, and, and what has helped him uh, stay in the NFL is he's a full field guy. He can go one, two, three, four, five. He can read the entire field. You know, being a, an engineering major, a mathematician, numbers make sense to him. He processes numbers and shapes quickly. And so that's Taylor's game. Now, obviously, Taylor doesn't have Carson's uh, natural gifts and the gifts Carson's developed over time. Um, Carson's game is he's, he's got to have some reads, Al, where it's a, a third of the field, where he's just looking at a third of the field, and it really helps him if that comes off of play action. Well, I remember you telling me about Taylor Heineke, how he is a five-read quarterback, uh, which is exceptionally rare. It's incredibly unique. I mean, you think of Tom Brady, uh, Aaron Rodgers. There's there's very few guys that I could name to you. Right? You know, if we talk for an hour, we could go through them all and break them down. But uh, there's very few guys that can do that. And I'm I'm not saying this, Al, to say that you know Taylor Heineke's a a top ten quarterback in the NFL. I'm just telling you what makes him unique. So because he doesn't have um, Carson Wentz arm strength or Tom Brady's arm strength or Aaron Rodgers' arm strength, for him to be an NFL quarterback, he had to be the smartest guy in the room. He had to be the guy who could process information quickly. And I get asked this question all the time, Al. How, how has he stayed in the NFL so long? Well, look who he's been with. He's been with Scott Turner three times, Minnesota, Carolina, and now Washington. And we all know why he was with Washington the last time, because of COVID and, and some injury situations and you know, Scott Turner needed a quarterback that he could call up off the street who could come in and run his system. And then we all saw how that worked out in the 2020 playoffs where he almost led them to a, to a win over Tom Brady and the eventual Super Bowl champs. So if that doesn't tell you he can process information quickly, I don't know what else would. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Much more with former Old Dominion head coach Bobby Wilder in moments. I'm going to next ask him about Taylor Heineke going into the Commanders 2022 season as their number two quarterback. What might be in store for Taylor? Uh, but what should be in store for your lawn, if it's not looking good, is Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so that you don't have to. Uh, Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price and aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. A beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall. Take advantage of this special offer and put Weedman to work for you. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says that it's going to do. Uh, all of that sounds simple, and it is, but it's not nearly as common as it should be. Uh, also, Weedman uses superior products that really improve your soil. Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Uh, Weedman does not cut corners, and Weedman only treats what needs to be treated. If you are not satisfied with your lawn or with who is treating your lawn, 
get with Weedman and take advantage of a really good offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. A fall tune-up at a great price in aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so that you get the special deal. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. More now with former Old Dominion head coach Bobby Wilder talking commanders. So coach, uh, your guy, Taylor Heineke, I know that you played golf with him on Saturday. How's he doing and what's his outlook for the 2022 season? He's he's doing really, really well, Al. He's in a really good place mentally. He's in a good place uh, physically. Uh, his body got really, really beaten up um, last year, particularly those two Cowboy games out. Those really uh, took a toll uh, on his body, some of the hits. So he was able to get healed up in the off season. Uh, he had a tremendous uh, strength and conditioning um, developmental phase this off season. He's 215 pounds. He looks the best he's ever looked. And for people that that don't understand what that means to me when I first went down in 2011 to recruit him the first time I ever met him, he was 175 pounds. So he's put on 40 pounds uh, of, of muscle. Uh, he's really athletic right now. Um, so he's in a good place. Um, he's in a really good place physically, um, mentally. I think everybody saw the, the interview where he basically said, you know, you got to, a $30 million quarterback, and you got a $2 million quarterback, so <laughs> yeah. we all know who's going to play. So that, that shows his his maturity, Al, his understanding, and he wasn't in any way being uh, being facetious or flip about that. He was just just putting it out there, the business of the NFL and the way it is, and he's he understands what they want his role to be right now. That's, that's the backup quarterback. That's if for some reason something happens. Uh, with Carson, and hopefully nothing happens to him, um, that he's ready to go. And the thing we know about Taylor Al is he, in my opinion, for, and I've studied quarterbacks for 30 years, um, you're going to have a hard time finding a more productive number two quarterback in the NFL. I mean, and you're a guy, Al, that, that you love football, you follow it. You know, I follow you online, so I know you, you understand what you're talking about when it comes to the NFL. Can you name me? a more productive number two that's on the bench right now of one of the 32 NFL teams. No. One of the great things about the commanders having Taylor Heineke is that they in him have at least a top 10 and probably a top five backup quarterback in the NFL. Heck, as you just indicated, he may well be the number one, number two in the league. And especially for the commanders, uh, the number two quarterback matters a lot. Washington in each of the last four regular seasons has started at least three different quarterbacks. So if recent history is any indication, Taylor Heineke will start for the commanders at some point in the 2022 season. And, you know, with him being set to be an unrestricted free agent in the 2023 offseason, things could get very interesting for Taylor in the coming months. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Alan. I know you just threw out that there might be five or ten, and uh, if we had time, we could get down the list because I'd love to hear who the five or ten are that are a backup quarterback in the NFL that are better than him. Uh, certainly no one 
is more productive than him. I've looked down the rosters of every NFL team, and there's there's not a quarterback that had that level of productivity yeah. um, last year. So my point is, you, you've got to feel really good um, if you're Ron Rivera and Scott Turner, especially with the the history of of injury for Carson. And again, I'm, I'm a Carson Wentz fan. I liked him in Philadelphia. I thought he was a good player. I hope he stays healthy. And I was joking with Taylor yesterday um, on the golf course, Al. I said, you know what? If you don't play a snap this year and you stay 100% healthy, I'm not going to be mad. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to see you uh, be healthy after this season and then see, you know, see what his options are, see where he whether he fits and stays with Washington or whether it's uh, somewhere else. And I'll be really clear, Al, he loves Washington. He's incredibly grateful to Coach Revere and Coach Turner for the opportunity. He knows why he's in the league right now and you know, and not working a 9-5. Uh, to five. He, he gets it. It's because of those two, those two men and the way they've um, helped him in his career. So he's very, very loyal to Washington, and he wants to win in Washington, but he, he's also... Um, he, he understands the NFL game and the NFL business, and he knows uh, that he could be gone um, at any point. He doesn't have a guaranteed contract. You know, his contract is not fully guaranteed, so he knows they could, you know, they could cut him tomorrow, and he could be out of work. So he shows up every day in that building. Now he's first guy in there, and he's the last guy to leave. Uh, he's on practice field early. He's doing everything they're asking him to do. So he is very, very loyal, uh, especially. Uh, to Coach Revere and Coach Turner. You mentioned Taylor Heineke knowing what the commanders want his role to be, i.e. the QB2. Did you think that Taylor deserved an opportunity to compete for the commander's starting quarterback job for the 2022 season? Because he obviously got no such opportunity. Ron Rivera has made it clear since the team traded for Carson Wentz that he's the QB1 and Taylor Heineke is the QB2. Um, I don't think you can have any flexibility uh, when you go spend, uh, and I don't, I don't know off the top of my head the exact number. You probably do, but I think when you go spend thirty million dollars, yeah, it's twenty eight. But yeah, close. Yeah. yeah, twenty eight. You go spend twenty eight. Um, that's your guy, especially when your backups make it one point five. You know, the guy making twenty eight, your guy, because how are you going to justify in the front office and on the coaching staff that the guy making one point five is starting over the guy you just paid twenty eight? You know, that's that's the kiss of death for any front office uh, in any sport. I'm not just talking NFL in any sport. Um, if the guy you know making making a little more than league minimum or twice a league minimum is a starter, so no, I, I don't think in any way, shape, or form um, it was a competition. And, and Taylor and I had a lot of conversations after Carson signed last year, and he knew exactly exactly what the situation was, what it was going to be, and and he went in there with the right mindset Al. He went in there to improve his game to get better, uh, to help Carson because that system is complicated and Carson's, you could probably tell from preseason, he's still learning the system. I don't think Carson's as good as he's going to be. That's a very complicated system that Scott's running. So, you know, even Taylor has said to me, he spends a lot of time with Carson to to try to help him because he really likes him. They're good friends. Um, They spend time together. So, uh, Taylor knows part of his role right now, Al, is to, is to mentor Carson and help him get caught up on a, on a system that Taylor's known for nine years. What do you think about Sam Howell? How did he look to you in the preseason? 
really impressive. I, I knew he was twitched up, Al, because I watched a lot of his college video, and I knew the numbers on his accuracy with the deep ball, but that was really, really impressive. I think uh, I think they stole the guy in the fifth round. I don't think that kid's a, a fifth-round draft choice after what I saw this preseason, and Taylor said he's really impressive. God, Taylor likes him. A lot said he's very mature, very professional, um, very respectful to both Taylor and Carson. He wants to learn. Uh, he works at it. It's important to him. He's really grounded um, in what he's doing. And uh, I think he's got a shot to be the future of the franchise. Hopefully, Al, he doesn't have to play this year. Hopefully, it's, you know, it's Carson. And then, you know, if need be, it's Taylor. And hopefully, Sam can just just grow and learn and watch and, you know, be in the different NFL stadiums and see how it works on game day. Just get that chance to mature. The one thing I've always been against, Al, in my entire career, whether it was coaching quarterbacks myself or guys in the NFL, is, is rookies starting right away because you can't get back that uh, what it does to them psychologically. It's just a different football game. Now, keep in mind that what we saw out of Sam Howell in preseason, we saw against – guys that were probably, you know, 54 to 90 on the roster. Um, majority of guys he played against aren't in the league anymore. So he didn't play against the best of the best is my point. So uh, I always tell people you've got to keep that in perspective. You've got to understand that um, he wasn't out there doing what he did against a, a top 10 NFL defense. So just, you know, taper expectations and, and give the kids some time to grow and mature. Yeah, I mean, your point about the competition that Sam Howell faced in the preseason is well taken. But to me, you also could say that Sam was playing with guys who are numbers 54 through 90. Yeah. Oh, no question. Yep, you're right. So you do think, though, that Sam Howell could be a starting NFL quarterback? Yeah, I do. I, I think he's based on what I saw. Now, again, I'm not just going off what I saw in preseason. I watched him throughout his college career. So I saw him play. I've probably seen him play 30, 30. 35 games. Wow. Um, he's got enough. When I say twitch, Al, he's that ability to get the ball out quick and also throw it um, accurately. And, and Taylor told me from in person that he's got a really live arm. Like that mm-hmm. ball comes out and he gets it out so fast. You know, that's, that's the thing, Al. I always tell people when you watch um, Drew Brees, when you watch Tom Brady, when you watch Aaron Rodgers, that ball comes out so fast. When they make a decision, that thing is out. And you know, from what Taylor was describing to me and what I've seen with my own eyes, uh, he is really twitched up. Ball comes out fast. I think he is going to be a legitimate uh, NFL quarterback, in my humble opinion. One more for you. I do want to ask you about another player who you coached at ODU, defensive lineman Bumi Rotimi, uh, with whom the commanders reached an injury settlement last week. He could be back with the team. We'll see. What can you tell us about him? Because Ron Rivera has talked Bumi up. Uh, uh, it's funny, Ron has had a hard time saying Bumi's name, but that's a separate conversation. <laughs> but but, but uh, what can you uh, enlighten us with regarding Bumi Rotimi? First of all, Al, what an impressive human being. He is one of the the nicest, kindest, most sincere, thoughtful people I've ever met in my life. He's this big, gentle giant. When you first meet him, you look at him and go, Oh my god, this he looks like a you know, like a Greek god, something that's carved or chiseled out of marble and then you know, he opens his mouth and starts talking and you're thinking, Okay, this this can't be a ferocious football player that plays defensive line. Just a really 
impressive person. He had he had a great career at Old Dominion. Um, a lot of people didn't know him because he's quiet. He's not overly active on social media. Um, just a really humble person. But what what set him apart, Al, and the reason he's hung on as long as he has is just this incredible work ethic. He'd be the guy, Al, that he'd be out at practice hitting sled before we started. Uh, he'd be on the sled after practice. You know, there were times we'd have to go over to him and say, you know, Boomy, we got, you know, we got a game tomorrow. You know, why don't you, why don't you get some rest? Why don't you go hydrate? You know, get off your feet. He just never stopped working, Al. I've never been around a D lineman um, that had that temperament, you know, that kind, gentle soul who was just so ferocious, so technical on the football field. So really happy for Boomy and not at all surprised that he's hung in there as long as he has. Yeah, well, that's certainly a testament to Boomy Road Teamy. Uh, former Old Dominion head coach Bobby Wilder. You can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Coach Wilder 353. Coach, I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you for your time. You got it, Al. Great talking to you. Thanks for having me on. All right, good stuff from Coach Wilder. He knows of what he speaks. He performed at a high level for years, just like the law firm of Polson and Nace has performed at a high level for years, 40-plus years. If you have a case, contact Polson and Nace. You can call Polson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and make sure that you tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, it is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions, and Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, I've known the Naces for 25-plus years. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yes, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. But don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. All right, let's talk college football week one as it relates to the big four teams of the Mid-Atlantic region, Maryland, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Navy. Uh, All four teams were favorites in week one, but only two of the four teams won. And one of the teams that won did not do so in particularly impressive fashion. And not a single one of the four teams covered, by the way. Goldilocks had a brutal weekend, 0-4. That, my friends, is unacceptable. Uh, the lone team of the four teams that was impressive was Maryland, although even with the Terrapins, there were nits to pick. Uh, Maryland began its 2022 season with a 31-10 win over Buffalo at Maryland Stadium in College Park on Saturday afternoon. Terps won their 11th consecutive non-conference season opener, and the Terps did win comfortably. They led in the second quarter 17-0, led in the fourth quarter 
31-7. Uh, Maryland's defense was good. Terps held Buffalo to just 5 of 16 on third downs. Just 268 total net yards of offense and just 3.7 yards per play. Uh, the Terps held Buffalo quarterback and Rutgers transfer Cole Snyder to just 18 of 35 passing for just 160 yards. That works out to 4.57 yards per pass attempt. Uh, Terps totaled four sacks. Defensive lineman and Liberty transfer Henry Chabuzzi had two sacks. And corner Jacorian Bennett had an impressive game. Uh, Bennett had five pass breakups and was tied for number two on the Terps with five solo tackles. Uh, Jacorian Bennett is a potential NFL player. You know, he for the 2021 season led all Power Five conference players in pass breakups with 16. Uh, most pass breakups by a Terrapin in a season since corner Dominique Foxworth, who did play in the NFL, had 22 pass breakups in the 2002 season. Uh, one of the things about Maryland this season is that the backfield is young. Uh, well, <laughs> the backfield on Saturday afternoon did just fine. A redshirt freshman running back, Roman Hemby, he went to the John Carroll School in Bel Air, Maryland. He had seven carries for 114 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, not bad. Uh, Hemby had an early first quarter, third and four, 33-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run, on which he had a great stiff arm to shed a would-be tackler. And Hemby had an early third quarter, second and five, 70-yard pistol handoff touchdown run. Another redshirt freshman running back for Maryland, Antoine Littleton II, he went to St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C. He had six carries for 34 yards and two touchdowns. I think the biggest complaint for the Terps in this game was that quarterback Talia Tungavailoa was fine, but not great. And the hope for him in the 2022 season is for him to be great. Uh, he was off on some throws. He had no touchdown passes versus one interception. And he quarterbacked the Terps offense that went just four of 13 on third downs, but it's not like he was terrible or anything like that. He completed 24 of his 34 pass attempts. That does work out to a completion percentage of 70.59. So, you know, we could say that he was off on some throws and he was, but his completion percentage was still 70.59. He over his 34 pass attempts threw for 290 yards. So that works out to yards per pass attempt of 8.53, which is pretty good. Here was Maryland head coach Mike Loxley during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon on Talia Tungavailoa being off on some throws. I know we had a chance to hit a big post there in the first half, and I think he got hit as he was releasing the ball is what I think, um, which is why, because normally uh, he doesn't underthrow very many of his deep balls. Um, you know, it's just game one timing. Um, you know, being in a, a, a live game situation, um, I expect him to continue to, to get better like everybody else from game one to game two. Um, I thought he managed things really well for us for the most part. You know, I need to get that, that, that interception back there where, you know, they disguised their coverage. He thought they uh, opened the middle of the field up and they did a really good job on his disguise. And what we talked about is he's got to confirm the coverage and not just pre-snap make a decision. And But those are all things that are correctable and we'll get those things corrected this week. Yeah, the Terps have three really good receivers in Rakim, Jarrett, Jayshon Jones, and Dante Demas Jr. Uh, Jarrett on Saturday afternoon, six receptions 
for 110 yards. He in the third quarter did have a drop on what should have been a big completion, but he early in the fourth quarter had a big run after the catch on a Talia Tungavailoa fourth and three, 35-yard shotgun completion to Jared. Uh, Jason Jones, four receptions, 70 yards in his return from a season-ending leg injury that was suffered in the 66-17 loss at then number seven Ohio State last October 9th. And Dante Dimas Jr., three receptions for 23 yards in his return from a season-ending leg injury that was suffered in a 51-14 loss to then number five Iowa at Maryland Stadium in College Park last October 1st. Uh, Next up for Maryland at Charlotte this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Virginia Tech. Uh, Oh, the Hokies. Uh, Tech began its 2022 season with a 2017 loss at Old Dominion on Friday night. As the great Britney Spears said many years ago, oops, I did it again. Uh, Oops, Virginia Tech did it again, suffered a loss to a supposedly lesser team in a September game. Uh, This has become a bit of a tradition for Tech. Uh, September 2018, then number 13, Virginia Tech lost at Old Dominion 49-35. We talked about that during our conversation with former ODU head coach Bobby Wilder. Uh, September 2015, Virginia Tech lost at East Carolina 35-28. September 2014, then number 17, Virginia Tech lost at home to East Carolina 28-21. September 2010, then number 13, Virginia Tech lost at home to James Madison at FCS school, 21-16. Now, the Hokies for this game at Old Dominion on Friday night were only six-point favorites per win bet. But still, I mean, this is a game that Tech should have won, and yet Tech did not win the game. ODU fans stormed the field after the game, said Hokies linebacker Dax Olafield after the game, quote, usually I run into the locker room, but I wanted to soak it all in, just walk through it all, and let that fuel me, fuel all of us, it's embarrassing, very embarrassing, end quote. So there you had a key tech defensive player calling the loss embarrassing. Uh, how about this? The second half of the game was delayed due to a group of Hokies assistant coaches getting stuck in an elevator. Uh, that about summed up the game for Tech. Uh, the Hokies' new starting quarterback, Marshall transfer, Grant Wells, struggled. Uh, he completed just 21 of his 37 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of just 56.76. He threw for just 197 yards on his 37 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.32. He had one touchdown pass versus four interceptions, and he quarterbacked the Tech offense that went just 5 of 17 on third downs. Uh, The positives for Wells were that he took no sacks and he had seven carries for 45 yards and a touchdown, but his performance as a passer was bad and off some bad quarterback play for the Hokies last season, uh, Grant Wells did not give you great faith that the quarterback play for the Hokies this season is going to be appreciably better. Uh, The Hokies in the second quarter had a disastrous special teams play, a bad snap on a 38-yard field goal attempt resulted in a fumble that ODU safety Robert Kennedy III recovered and returned 25 yards for a touchdown. Uh, The Hokies' new head coach Brent Pride during his postgame session with reporters said that his team was sloppy. Uh, It was. Tech finished the game with 15 accepted penalties for 106 yards. I mean, 15 accepted penalties. Uh, Pride during his postgame session with reporters also said 
that his players pressed. And also with Pry during the game was a brutal moment of clock management. Uh, trailing 17-13 late in the fourth quarter, Old Dominion quarterback Hayden Wolf, a second and 10, 38-yard shotgun completion to receiver Ali Jennings III, giving ODU the ball at the Tech 1 with a little more than a minute left. Uh, also on the play was Hokies corner Dorian Strong being called for a pass interference penalty, but ODU denied the penalty. Well, Pry did not realize that with the penalty having been declined, the clock was running until a good chunk of time had come off the clock. He finally called a timeout with 41 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Two snaps later was ODU's game-winning touchdown, uh, but Tech's ensuing offensive possession began with just 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter, and the possession ended on Grant Wells' fourth interception of the game. Uh, the Hokies lost despite a big game from running back Keyshawn King, 19 carries for 111 yards and three receptions for 22 yards and a touchdown. The Hokies' defense overall was good, but ultimately was not good enough. Uh, Tech did hold Old Dominion to just 2 of 15 on third downs, just 249 total net yards of offense, and just 3.7 yards per play. But the Hokies uh, lost the fourth quarter, 10 nothing, including allowing ODU to author a game-winning nine-play 74-yard touchdown drive that resulted in running back Blake Watson's second and goal one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 33 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Uh, not a good performance by the Hokies. You know, doesn't mean that they're destined to be a bad team this season. Remember how the Hokies' 2021 season started? A 17-10 win over then number 10 North Carolina at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. Uh, so you had that great win to begin last season. That great win ended up not meaning much. Uh, Justin Fuente ended up being out as Tech head coach a little more than two months later. So what a football team does in its first game doesn't necessarily mean anything for what that team does the rest of the season. But uh, the Hokies have a lot of work to do. Uh, and how about this? Tech got robbed during its loss at Old Dominion. No, literally, Tech got robbed during its loss at Old Dominion. Statement from Virginia Tech on Sunday, quote, the Virginia Tech Athletic Department confirmed there were items missing from the Virginia Tech locker room following the football game against Old Dominion in Norfolk Friday night. The university is working with law enforcement and Old Dominion University on the matter and will have no further comment, end quote. Uh, yeah, great trip for Virginia Tech Old Dominion. Uh, next up for Tech, home to Boston College this Saturday night at 8. Uh, like Virginia Tech, Virginia has a new head coach. Unlike Virginia Tech, Virginia in week one won in the head coach's first game at the school, although this win was too close for comfort. Uh, Virginia began its 2022 season with a 34-17 win over Richmond at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville on Saturday afternoon. Richmond is an FCS school. Uh, the Cavaliers, in their first game under head coach Tony Elliott, won the first half 28-10, but actually lost the second half 7-6. Uh, receiver Dontavian Wicks on the opening drive of the second half had a lost fumble, setting up a short field for a Richmond offensive drive that resulted in a touchdown pass by quarterback and Maryland transfer Reese Udinsky. Yeah, Reese Udinsky is the Richmond quarterback. Udinsky transferred to Maryland from VMI and has since transferred to Richmond from Maryland. Uh, here was Tony Elliott during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon on UVA's performance in the second half. 
The second half, I, I, I wasn't pleased with the second half. Uh, I challenged the guys in the locker room coming out uh, that we got to finish. You know, if we're gonna, if we're gonna, we're gonna find out uh, the maturity level and the makeup of this team in the second half. And and I felt like the guys just uh, were were uh, excited about the success and they were focusing on the first half and didn't finish the second half. So it's a great opportunity uh, to teach these guys uh, how to how to finish games uh, because games are going to be won in the fourth quarter. And uh, it was also credit to uh, to Richmond. And I told them. I I said, those guys got a championship pedigree. You look at the number of conference championships, their head coach has been a part of a national championship, and they fought like champions that they are in the second half, and they didn't quit, and we knew they weren't going to quit. So great opportunity to teach. The second half is uh, glad that we were able to finish it and find a way, uh, but it's going to be a, a you know tough day on Monday when we're, when we're transparent and say these are things that we got to clean up. Yeah, now there certainly were positives for Virginia. Uh, the Cavs had 505 total net yards of offense to Richmond's uh, 330. Average 6.7 yards per play to Richmond's 4.8. Uh, the Wahoos' defense was good against the pass. The Hoos held Richmond to just 5 of 14 on third downs. The Hoos held Reese Udinsky to just 160 yards on 34 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 4.71. But the Hoos' defense did have some problems against the run. Uh, the Hoos allowed Richmond running backs Savon Smith and Aaron Dykes to combine for 30 carries for 164 yards and a touchdown, uh, 5.47 yards per carry. Smith also had four receptions for 26 yards and a touchdown. The most exciting thing about Virginia is that quarterback Brennan Armstrong is back. Uh, he had a great 2021 season. He and this win over Richmond was fine as a passer, but actually in a lot of ways more impactful as a runner. Uh, Armstrong went 21-33 passing for 246 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. But Armstrong also had 10 carries for 105 yards and a touchdown. Uh, we saw this last season. Armstrong can run. He can be a real threat with his legs. He certainly was a major threat with his legs on Saturday afternoon. Two big plays by Armstrong in this game. One as a passer, one as a runner. He had a first quarter, first and 10, 56-yard pistol play action touchdown pass to receiver Lavelle Davis Jr. Lavelle Davis Jr. is listed by UVA as being 6'7", uh, and Armstrong had an early second quarter, second and 10, 64-yard shotgun read option touchdown run. Uh, Armstrong, with that touchdown run, broke UVA's record for career total offense. Uh, another key player for the Cavs was running back Paris Jones. Uh, he's a senior who went to Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia. He, in this game, made his first career start, and he had 19 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown, 5.47 yards per carry, and he had two receptions for 14 yards and a touchdown. Uh, also, how'd you like the Who's Unis? Uh, if you're a UVA fan, perhaps you noticed these. Uh, orange pants and orange jerseys. UVA wore orange pants and orange jerseys in a game for the first time since October 2010. Uh, next up for Virginia at Illinois this Saturday afternoon at four. So UVA on Saturday afternoon at home had problems against an FCS school, but won. Navy on Saturday afternoon at home struggled against an FCS team and lost. Uh, Navy began its 2022 season with a 14-7 loss to Delaware at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis on Saturday afternoon. Uh, the midshipmen trailed in the third quarter 14-0. Uh, Navy's rushing offense in this game was brutal. 
Uh, actually, the Mets' passing offense was fairly effective, but the Navy bread and butter, the rushing attack, no bueno. Uh, Navy finished with 63 carries for just 184 yards, a touchdown, and three fumbles, all of which came in the first half, and all of which were lost fumbles. So the Mets averaged just 2.92 yards per carry. Uh, quarterback Ty Lovatai, 18 carries for 34 yards, a touchdown, and two first quarter lost fumbles. Although those were mesh handoff fumbles, so they weren't necessarily his fault, but he ended up averaging just 1.89 yards per carry. And understand that Lovatai did not take any sacks, so that was a legitimate 1.89 yards per carry. Keep in mind, rushing stats in college football include yardage lost on sacks. Why? I don't know. I can't stand that, but that is the case. But Lovatai did not take any sacks in this game. Uh, he did go 5 of 13 passing for 135 yards. Now, you know, 5 of 13 passing isn't good, but 135 yards over 13 pass attempts works out to 10.38 yards per pass attempt. He had some big completions in this game. He had completions of 43, 37, and 17 yards. Here was Navy head coach Kenny Amatololo during his post-game press conference on Saturday afternoon on Ty Lovatai. The quarterback in our offense, you know, gets a lot of credit, which is because the ball's always in his hands, but you also get a lot of blame too because the ball's always in your hands. And it's the nature of the position. Everybody who's played it recognizes the, the, the amount of pressures on you because we're asking you to always get us into the right play. So there's always extreme amount of pressure on, on the quarterback before the play to get us into the right play, and then after the play, get the ball to the right person. So, um, you know, it just can't happen. You know, whoever it is, you know, he's clamping down, he's on his hip, or the bottom line, it can't happen. And so we got to get that fixed. That was, um, like I said, it just got us off to a bad start and seemed like we were always scrambling after that. Um, you know, we've kind of been... And then we get something going, then we had another fumble, just took our life out again. You know, it looks like Anton was going, we're moving the ball again, and then we fumble the ball. And Because we're always a grinded out team, and you, that's three possessions we lose. You know what I mean? We're not a throwing team that, you know, is trying to get 15 possessions a game. You lose three possessions, that's huge. And so, um, obviously, those are, those are monumental. Yes, they were. Uh, Navy lost despite its defense playing well. Uh, Navy held Delaware to just 2 of 13 on third downs, just 202 total net yards of offense and just 3.3 yards per play. Navy finished the game with five sacks. Navy finished the game with 12 tackles for loss. Uh, the defense did its part. The offense did not. And so Navy, off back-to-back -back losing seasons, now is off to an 0-1 start with the 1 being a home loss to an FCS team in Delaware. Uh, more from Ken Yamatololo during his post-game press conference on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, obviously a disappointing loss. Uh, I thought our defense played great. You know, our, our number one thing on offense is always tip up, take care of the ball. I mean, you, you can't beat anybody turning the ball over three times. And our, our big emphasis this whole camp was get off to a fast start and Jesus could have had a worse start. I mean, fumble on the first play of the game in the red zone. Um, then we're moving again, had another turnover. Just, and all of the, the hard part about most of it is all of it was self inflicted. 
Next up for Navy, home to Memphis this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Up next, I'm talking Nationals. How about our NATS Nats, Nats, Nats? Uh, they Friday through Sunday won two or three games at the National League East leading New York Mets, and the two Nats wins ended up being two convincing wins. Each was a 7-1 win. I'll discuss one of the best series for the Nats this season straight ahead. Well, where would we be without coffee? Uh, it is one of life's great pleasures, isn't it? Uh, I drink coffee, and I'm a big fan of Trade Coffee, which has a terrific offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service unlike anything that you've tried before. That's because Trade Coffee partners with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffee in the country directly to where you live and on your preferred schedule. Uh, Trade Coffee's experts do all of the work. They taste test hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. Uh, The coffee that I get from Trade Coffee is really good, and the Trade Coffee team actually worked with me to create my own custom collection. Trust me, I'm no coffee expert, but thanks to Trade Coffee, I have like a super collection of coffee. I have a dream team of coffee. And one of the best things about Trade Coffee is that it has whatever it is that you want. You can shop Trade Coffee's most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can do what I did, take the Trade Coffee quiz, uh, just takes a few minutes, and you get expertly matched with coffees that you'll love. If you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee that you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. So here's what you do. Go to drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off your first order, plus free shipping. Get hooked up with great coffee at a great price, all while supporting small businesses. Visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off plus free shipping. That's drinktrade.com slash algaldi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. 
This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Few things have captured the Nationals' oh-so-bad 2022 season more than their struggles against the National League East, and so it made perfect sense, uh, that is to say, it made no sense, that the Nats over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday won a three-game series at the top team in the NL East, the division-leading New York Mets. Friday night, a 7-3 loss, but Saturday night, a 7-1 win, and Sunday afternoon, a 7-1 win. Yes, manager Davey Martinez and the boys, they won two or three games at the Mighty Mets. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, proud of the boys. Uh, So the Nats in the 2022 regular season now are a major league worst 47 and 87, including a horrendous 11 and 43 against the National League East. But somehow, some way, the Nats won two or three games at the Mets. Uh, The Nats are playing better. They now have won five of their last seven games. The offense has come alive. The pitching has been better. And the defense has been better. Some big innings for the Nats in this series. Saturday night, a five-run ninth. Sunday afternoon, a four-run third. And some big individual performances in this series. Heck, here's all that you need to know. Cesar Hernandez homered. Yeah, Cesar Hernandez, who had not homered at all in the 2022 regular season, he on Sunday afternoon hit a home run. So first of all, with Cesar, he was an ad starting left fielder in games two and three of this series. Yadiel Hernandez is on the 60-day injured list due to a left calf strain. Uh, Nelson Cruz did not play in either of the final two games of the series as he left game one of the series due to having fouled a ball off his left knee. And so the resulting domino effect had Cesar Hernandez as an at starting left fielder in each of the final two games of the series. This marked the first time in his major league career that he started a regular season game as his team's left fielder. He had not started a major league regular season game in the outfield since 2013. Uh, Cesar Hernandez on Saturday night as an at starting left fielder and number six batter went one for three with a single. Uh, Cesar in the top of the second had a went out first pitch single to center field. He then, though, was thrown out in an attempted steal of second base for the second out. The Nats, by the way, in this series made all kinds of outs on the base pass. Uh, Cesar on Sunday afternoon as an at starting left fielder and number six batter went one for two with a solo home run and two walks, and he also had an adventure in left field. But Cesar in the top of the second drew a one-out five-pitch walk. Cesar in the Nats' four-run third drew a two-out five-pitch walk. And Cesar in the Nats' two-run fifth, a two-out two-run homer to the second deck in right field for a 7-1 Nats lead, despite having been down in the count at 1.02. This was his first home run 
of the 2022 regular season. So he hasn't hit a single homer, and then his first homer is to the second deck at the National League East leading Mets. It made no sense, and so it made perfect sense. And maybe the best part of this was that the Nats gave Cesar Hernandez the silent treatment in the dugout. That's one of the great baseball traditions, the silent treatment. A player does something great for the first time or for the first time in a long time, comes back to the dugout, everyone ignores him, and then everyone mobs him. Uh, Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon on he and the rest of the Nats giving Cesar Hernandez the silent treatment in the dugout upon him hitting that home run. Yeah, we, I just thought of it right when he's when he hit it. So um, we, we got everybody just got. I felt bad actually. I really do when I do that because then he, so I was three pitches in, I was like, I told Buck, I, I just got to say something to him. So yeah, I went over and started screaming at him, and then the team came over. So, um, but man, he, he's waited all year for that one, uh, and I'm happy for him. You know, he, he may look for what it's worth. The guy's got you know he's leading our team in hits. You know, so I mean, um, I asked him to you know that he's you know change roles on him and. Um, He's, he's, he's gone out there, he's, he's accepted it, he's done well. He's, I mean, he's a, he's a veteran guy and a, and a true professional. Yeah, now also with Cesar Hernandez on Sunday afternoon was the adventure in the outfield. Uh, Cesar in the bottom of the seventh with runners on first and second dropped what was a pretty routine fly ball in shallow left center field off the bat of Eduardo Escobar. But Cesar then fired the ball to third base for a force out. And then third baseman Ildemaro Vargas tagged Mark Canna for the second out in what ended up being a most unconventional double play. Vargas didn't seem to have any idea uh, what was a force out and who needed to be tagged and uh, what exactly was happening. And so Vargas just started tagging every Mets runner who Vargas could find. Hey, the Nats got the double play. Uh, A major offensive force for the Nats over their two wins at the Mets was Lane Thomas. The Lane train was in effect. He in this series started at all three outfield positions. Uh, Thomas on Friday night was an at starting left fielder and number one batter. He went 0 for 5 with a strikeout. Thomas on Saturday night was an at starting center fielder and number one batter. He went 3 for 4 with a solo homer, an RBI single, another single, and a walk. And then Thomas on Sunday afternoon was an at starting right fielder and number one batter. He went 2 for 4 with a double, a single, and a walk. And the single was especially impressive. Thomas in the Nats four-run third, a one-out single to left field on an 0-2 pitch. The hit came on the eighth pitch of the plate appearance of him having fouled off six consecutive pitches. Uh, we had a lot of good stuff from Luis Garcia in this series. He was an Nats starting second baseman in all three games. Garcia on Friday night as an Nats number six batter, two for four with two first pitch singles and two strikeouts. Garcia on Saturday night as an Nats number two batter, four for five with a solo homer, two doubles and a single. And Garcia was like a first pitch swinging machine in this game. He and the Nats one run first had a one out first pitch solo homer to right field off the ex-Nat Max Scherzer for a one nothing Nats lead. The homer went a projected 411 feet per stat cast. Garcia in the top of the six had a one-out double off the right field wall. Uh, Now that hit came on the second pitch of the plate appearance. Garcia in the top of the eighth had a one-out first pitch opposite field double to the left field corner, although he moments later got picked off at second base for the second out. Uh, Like I said, the Nats in this series did make all kinds of outs on the base pass. And then Garcia in the top of the ninth had a one-out first pitch single 
to right field. And then Garcia on Sunday afternoon as it adds number two batter. Only went one for five and did leave five men on base, but the one was an RBI single. Uh, Garcia in the Nats, one run first, an opposite field RBI single through the left side of the infield for a one nothing Nats lead. I really like the step forward that Luis Garcia has taken offensively. The Nats on June 1st recalled Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester. Look, he struggled defensively at shortstop, but now that he's back to playing second base, which was the position that he manned for the Nats at the major league level last season, he looks a lot more comfortable and he is producing offensively. I mean, Luis Garcia over various major league stints with the Nats over the 2020 and 2021 regular seasons was an underwhelming offensive player. Uh, Here's the compare and contrast, okay? So the slash line numbers for Garcia over the 2020 and 2021 regular seasons versus the slash line numbers for Garcia at the major league level in the 2022 regular season. Batting average from 254 to 298. On base percentage from 285 to 310. Slugging percentage from 395 to 443. Appreciable offensive improvement for Luis Garcia. Uh, Garcia's double play partner, C.J. Abrams, he has struggled offensively at the major league level for the Nats so far, but he did have a big hit in the win on Saturday night. He was an Nats starting shortstop and number nine batter in all three games. Abrams on Saturday night, two for four with a two-run single and another single. Uh, Abrams in the Nats, five-run ninth, a one-out bases-loaded two-run single off the side of the mound and into right center field for a 5-1 Nats lead. He then, though, got picked off between first and second base, but that actually ended up being a blessing in disguise because that led to a throwing error by Mets second baseman Jeff McNeil during the rundown, scoring Ildemar Vargas for a 6-1 Nats lead. So potential Nats building blocks in Lane Thomas, Luis Garcia, C.J. Abrams, all doing some nice things. Same for another potential Nats building block in Kbert Ruiz. Uh, He ended up being the Nats starting catcher and number five batter in all three games in the series. He talked his way into the lineup for Sunday afternoon. Davey Martinez had been planning on giving Ruiz the day off, but Ruiz really wanted to play. And it's a good thing that he did play. He went three for five with a two-run single and two other singles. Ruiz in the Nats four-run third, a two-out bases loaded, two-run single to center field for a 3-1 Nats lead. Ruiz in the Nats two-run fifth, a two-out opposite field single to left field on an 0-2 pitch. Ruiz in the top of the seventh, a first pitch single through the right side of the infield. Uh, Also, Ruiz on Saturday night, one for five with a double. Uh, He did leave three men on base, but Ruiz in the Nats' five-run ninth had a first pitch double off the right field fence. Uh, We also had more heroics from Ildemaro Vargas uh, for the Nats in this series. He was their starting third baseman in all three games in the series. Uh, He, on Friday night, as the Nats' number seven batter, went two for four with an RBI double and another double. He also made a nice defensive play of Vargas in what was a Mets 4-1-6 on an RBI sack fly double play off the bat of Eduardo Escobar. Made a great throw to shortstop C.J. Abrams at second base to get the trail runner Mark Canna for the second out. Vargas on Saturday night as the Nats' number eight batter, one for four with an infield single. Vargas on Sunday afternoon as the Nats number seven batter, one for four with a two-run single. Did leave three men on base, but Vargas in that Nats four-run third, a two-out two-run single to left center field for a 5-1 
Nats lead. Uh, the Nats starting pitching in this series win at the Mets. Uh, bad in the loss in game one, but very good in the wins in games two and three. Uh, Josiah Gray in the 7-3 loss on Friday night started a game for the first time in 13 days. He did not do well. Uh, he allowed six runs in five innings, gave up six hits, two homers, two doubles, and two singles, issued four walks, one of which was intentional, recorded just two strikeouts. He over his five innings threw 95 pitches, 56 strikes, versus 29 balls. Uh, the home run continues to be an issue for Josiah Gray. He and a Mets two-run second, gave up a one-out two-run homer to Eduardo Escobar to right field for a 2-0 Mets lead. The homer went a projected 410 feet per stat cast. And then Gray in a Mets four-run six, gave up a leadoff homer to Pete Alonso to left field for a 4-3 Mets lead. Uh, now, two of the runs in the inning that were charged to Gray did come with reliever Steve Ciszek pitching but Josiah Gray now in this 2022 regular season, 24 starts, ERA of 491. I mean, that's not what you want from a key young pitcher for a rebuilding team in the Nats, an ERA approaching five. Uh, now, I do think that he's been better than that ERA would suggest, but there are issues, and the home run remains the principal problem. Josiah Gray in this 2022 regular season has allowed a major league worst 34 home runs, and Gray over the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons at the major league level has allowed 53 home runs in 199 innings. Uh, but we then got the work of Patrick Corbin in game two. How about Corbin? He on Saturday night outpitched the great Max Scherzer. Uh, Corbin in game two of the series, good for a third consecutive start, and he earned a win for a second straight start, uh, Corbin in the 7-1 win on Saturday night, one run in seven innings. He had five strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just three hits, a homer, and two singles. He threw a lot of strikes as he over his 85 pitches threw 60 strikes versus a mere 25 balls. And what was especially interesting was that Corbin in this outing deviated from his usual slider-heavy game plan. He threw a ton of sinkers, not many sliders. The only damage off Corbin came in the top of the third, during which he gave up a leadoff homer to Eduardo Escobar to left center field to tie the game at one. Uh, the homer uh, was impressive uh, when it projected 432 feet per stat cast. But here now is what Patrick Corbin has done over his last three starts. A 2-1 loss at the San Diego Padres on August 21st. Corbin allowed two runs in five and a third innings. And he in that game tossed five scoreless innings before giving up two runs in the bottom of the sixth. 3-2 win over the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park on August 28th. Corbin allowed two runs, one earned in six innings. And he got the win. Uh, he improved to 5-17 and 17 in the 2022 regular season. Remember, Corbin getting that win ended that Nat streak of 43 consecutive games without a starting pitcher earning a win. Uh, that was the longest such streak in modern Major League history, i.e., since 1900. And now Corbin has registered a win in a second consecutive outing with this very well-pitched game at a very good hitting team in the Mets. Now look, none of this means that Patrick Corbin has been fixed, okay? He still cannot be trusted. We're only a few weeks removed from him having his turn in the Nats rotation skipped due to him being so bad. Remember, he allowed six runs and recorded just two outs in two of three starts 
at one point. 7-1 loss at the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers on July 27. Corbin allowed six runs and recorded just two outs. 11-5 loss at the Philadelphia Phillies on August 6. Corbin allowed six runs and recorded just two outs. But Patrick Corbin has been better lately. I give the guy credit, and he was really good on Saturday night. And Eric Fetty was really good on Sunday afternoon. Fetty in Game 3 of this series at the Mets bounced back big time. Fetty in the 7-1 win at the Mets on Sunday afternoon, one run in six innings. He gave up just four hits, all of which were singles. He issued just one walk. He did record just two strikeouts, but he threw a good number of strikes, 101 pitches, 65 strikes versus 36 balls. And he did all of this against the Mets team that came into the day number five in the majors in team-weighted runs created plus for the 2022 regular season at 112. 100 is league average. Above 100 is good. 112 is quite good, especially for a team-weighted runs created plus. And this happened off Fetty having gotten smashed in his previous outing, a 10-6 loss to the American League worst Oakland A's at Nationals Park this past Tuesday night. Six runs in two and two-thirds innings. And this took place against an A's team that came into that day number 28 out of 30 major league teams in team-weighted runs created plus for the 2022 regular season at 83. So go figure. Fetty against the weak-hitting A's got rocked. Fetty at the very good hitting team in the Mets ended up doing quite well. A solid weekend for the Nats bullpen. Friday night, three Nats relievers officially combined to allow one run in three innings. That is, though, a bit misleading because Steve Ciszek was not good in what ended up being a Mets 4-1-6. He came into the game with runners on first and second, no outs, in the Nats trailing 4-3. He, to the first batter he faced, Mark Cannon gave up a single to left field on a 1-2 pitch to load the bases. Uh, Ciszek did then get two outs on that RBI sack fly double play off the bat of Eduardo Escobar, but Ciszek then gave up a two-out opposite field RBI single to Tomas Nito to right field for a 6-3 Mets lead, and Ciszek then gave up a two-out RBI triple to Brandon Nimmo to center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 7-3 Mets lead. Uh, the ball went over center fielder Victor Robles, who initially came in and making a bad read on the ball, although Robles did have some impressive defensive plays in this series. Uh, Mason Thompson, who was brought back up from AAA Rochester with rosters expanding in September, tossed a perfect bottom of the seventh. Corey Abbott tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth. Uh, Saturday night, two Nats relievers combined for two scoreless innings. Carl Edwards Jr. scoreless bottom of the eighth despite issuing a walk and giving up a single. Erasmo Ramirez, a perfect bottom of the ninth with two strikeouts. Now, the Nats on Sunday did place reliever Victor Arano on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to September 2nd with a right shoulder strain, recalled reliever Andres Machado from AAA Rochester. And then in the game on Sunday afternoon, three Nats relievers combined for three scoreless innings. Uh, Hunter Harvey, a scoreless spot of the seventh, despite beginning his appearance by giving up back-to-back singles. Jake McGee, a perfect bottom of the eighth. Corey Abbott, a scoreless bottom of the ninth. So think about this. The Nats won two or three games at the National League East leading Mets, despite the Nats not throwing their best reliever in the series, Kyle Finnegan. Uh, Good job by the Nats at the Mets. Next up for the Nats is a four-game series at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Game one, Monday afternoon at 4.15. Anibal Sanchez will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7.45. Paolo Espino 
will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game three, Wednesday night at 745, Corey Abbott will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game four, Thursday afternoon at 115, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. So the Nats are actually going with a six-man rotation right now. Well, a huge series for the Orioles is about to go down. Four games over three days against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Uh, the O's, as we speak, trail the Blue Jays by two and a half games for the American League's third wild card spot. The O's in August did go four and one against the Blue Jays. Let us hope that the success against the Jays continues. Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon. Jays are an extremely talented team, and they have. Um, we're going to face four really good starters, and they they're taking care of business. They just they swept Pittsburgh, and and uh, they have really good arms in the in the pen, and they're extremely talented offensively, all right-handed, but very very talented offensively. I think we've played a lot of close games. I think we played them well, but they're it's the same core group of guys that we've seen now for a few years, and they're they're really dangerous. Yes, they are, but you know who else is dangerous? The O's. Uh, the O's are coming off having won two or three games over the American League worst Oakland A's at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Friday night, a 5-2 win. Saturday night, an 8-1 win. Sunday afternoon, a 5 nothing loss. But that 8-1 win on Saturday night improved the O's to 71-61 and in the 2022 regular season. Consider this. The O's per the Elias Sports Bureau became the first team to surpass 70 wins in a regular season after losing 100 or more games in each of the previous three full regular seasons. What the O's are doing this season is nothing short of spectacular. And I talked about this on the podcast a year ago, that the Orioles' rebuild was working. When all of the ninnies were yelling and screaming about how bad the O's were, and no doubt they were bad, but I made it very clear. The Orioles' rebuild was working. The farm system had been reshaped and reimagined to where it had become elite. And here we have now... The fruits of the rebuilding labor being enjoyed. My mantra for the Orioles' rebuild was pain now, pleasure later. That was the mantra that we espoused for the Orioles' rebuild. Pain now, pleasure later. Well, the pleasure is now, at least a year earlier than anyone realistically anticipated. And the player who is capturing this better than anyone right now is Gunnar Henderson. How great has this guy been so far in his major league career? The O's last Wednesday selected the contract of infielder Gunnar Henderson from AAA Norfolk. The O's took Henderson in the second round of the 2019 MLB draft out of a high school in Alabama. This season is his age 21 season. He is the number two prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. And he, since being called up to the majors, has been outstanding. You know, even Adley Rutschman, as good as he now is, struggled quite a bit during his initial weeks in the majors. 
Uh, man, has Gunnar Henderson hit the ground running. Henderson on Friday night as the Orioles starting second baseman and number eight batter went at two for four with two doubles. And this game made it so that Henderson over his first three major league regular season games started at three different positions, third base, shortstop, and second base. Uh, Henderson on Saturday night as the Orioles starting third baseman at number five batter went at one for three with a single and a walk. And Henderson on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles starting second baseman at number five batter went 0 for four with a strikeout and left three men on base. But he made back-to-back impressive defensive plays to begin the game. Uh, Henderson in the top of the first, a terrific play on a first pitch bunt ground out by Tony Campus. Henderson made a charging backhanded stab at the grounder and then fired a strong throw to first baseman Ryan Mountcastle for the out. And then two pitches later, Henderson on a grounder off the bat of VML Machine made a diving catch deep on the infield dirt near the outfield grass and then made the toss to Mountcastle for the out. Henderson has been so impressive. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, over 20 plate appearances since being called up to the majors, has an OPS of 929. Remember, he homered in his first game. Uh, I mentioned Adley Rutschman. He had a nice series off, by the way, having been struggling. Uh, Rutschman on Friday night drew a pinch tie-breaking bases-loaded six-pitch walk for a 3-2 Orioles lead. He did not start the game as he over his previous seven games had gone just three for 26 with three walks. But Rutschman on Saturday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter went two for five with a solo homer and an RBI single. A Rutschman in the Orioles one run six had a one out full count RBI single for a 7-1 Orioles lead despite having been down in the count at 1.12. And Rutschman in the Orioles one run eighth, a two out solo homer for an 8-1 Orioles lead despite having been down to the count at 1.12. And then Rutschman on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles starting DH in number two batter, one for three with a single and a walk. Even with the recent struggles, Adley Rutschman, since being called up from AAA Norfolk on May 21st, has an OPS of 791. Uh, also, good stuff from Ryan Mountcastle, a.k.a. Mountie, over the first two games of the series. You know, Mountcastle had really been struggling over the last two months. He had a terrible July. He had a terrible August. Unless he was playing the Blue Jays, Ryan Mountcastle against the Blue Jays is like Eddie Murray. Okay, Mountcastle tortures the Blue Jays. Uh, hopefully, uh, that's going to continue in this upcoming four-game series against the Blue Jays. Uh, but you know what? Mountcastle did torture the A's over the first two games of this series. Uh, Mountcastle on Friday night as the Orioles starting DH in number three batter, two for three with an RBI single, another single, and a walk. And Mountcastle on Saturday night as the Orioles starting first baseman at number four batter, two for four with two two-run homers. So Mountcastle in the Orioles two-run first, a two-out two-run homer for a 2-1 Orioles lead. Mountcastle in the Orioles two-run third, a one-out two-run homer for a 4-1 Orioles lead. Uh, the Orioles starting pitching and winning two or three games over the A's was mixed. Uh, Dean Kramer in game one had the best outing of any Orioles starter in this series. He was good for a fifth time in six starts. Kramer in the 5-2 win on Friday night, two runs in six innings. He had six strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up five hits, a double, and four singles. And he threw a lot of strikes, 94 pitches, 63 strikes versus just 31 balls. Uh, Dean Kramer continues to be so much better this season as compared to last season. Kramer now in the 2022 regular season, 16 starts, ERA of 
322. Uh, this off him having been twice demoted to AAA Norfolk last season with him being so bad at the major league level. But he's on a nice run. Like I said, good in five of his last six starts. Uh, included in that mix was a terrific outing uh, at the Blue Jays, a 4-2 win at Toronto on August 16th. Kramer in that game, two runs in seven innings, six strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, Kramer is slated to start game four of the series against the Blue Jays. That would be the Wednesday night game. Uh, Austin Voth in game two of this series against the A's was good during his time in the game, but his time in the game certainly did not last for long. Both in the 8-1 win over the A's on Saturday night, one run in three and a third innings. Yes, that was the extent of his outing, three and a third innings. He did give up six hits, but all of them were singles. He had four strikeouts versus no walks. You like that? Uh, the thing was, he threw a lot of pitches. He threw 70 pitches over his three and a third innings, although a good number of the pitches were strikes, 47 strikes versus 23 balls. So for Austin Voth now, with the O's, 17 games, including 13 starts, 63 innings, an ERA of 271. Not bad for a guy who the O's claimed off waivers from the Nats on June 7th. Uh, Spencer Watkins in Game 3 against the A's did struggle. The 5 nothing loss on Sunday afternoon. Watkins, four runs in six innings. He gave up nine hits, a homer, a double, and seven singles. He issued a walk. He recorded no strikeouts. That's rare in this day and age that a starting pitcher pitches for any substantial length of time. I mean, in this case, six innings, and you get no strikeouts. And that's even with Watkins throwing a good number of strikes, 74 pitches, 50 strikes versus 24 balls. 50 strikes over 74 pitches is a lot of strikes, but <laughs> Watkins had no strikeouts on Sunday afternoon. For Watkins now in the 2022 regular season, 20 major league games, including 19 starts in ERA of 437. Orioles bullpen was good in the two wins over the A's. Friday night, Brian Baker and Dylan Tate combined for three scoreless innings. Saturday night, five Orioles relievers in relief of Austin Vogt combined for five and two-thirds scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Uh, outstanding work by the Orioles bullpen on Saturday night and included in that mix was D.L. Hall tossing a perfect top of the eighth with two swinging strikeouts. Uh, his four-seam fastball velocity peaked at 98.2 miles per hour per stat cast. Uh, the O's this past Thursday recalled Hull from AAA Norfolk. He is the number 91 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. And so next up for the O's is this Oso Key Series, four games in three days against the Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Games one and two are on Monday in a traditional doubleheader beginning on Monday afternoon at 105. Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles starting pitcher for game one. Mike Bauman will be the Orioles starting pitcher for game two. Game three, Tuesday night at 705, Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game four, Wednesday night at 705, Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 393, will feature plenty on the Commanders as it is a game week. It is the lead up to week one of the 2022 season. Commanders are expected to practice on Monday. Also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk 
Nationals and Orioles with each team playing on Labor Day of the Nats on Monday afternoon at 4.15. We'll begin game one of a four-game series at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals. And the O's on Monday at 105 will begin a traditional doubleheader against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in games one and two of a big four-game series in the American League wildcard race. Have a great rest of your Labor Day Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. (laughs) Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.